the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. If you've torn yourself away from the uh, Democrat presidential debates, it's something It's really, you know, it's what they say. Um, the human eye is drawn to, uh, especially to... Conflict. Yeah, nothing better than watching, yeah, watching a train wreck. It's uh, unbelievable. We'll talk in a minute about that. But welcome again. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. We have a chance to catch up this hour. In a couple minutes, we'll get an update from Iowa. The chairman of the Republican Party in Iowa is a very savvy, seasoned uh, political pro. He's also a farmer, uh, and uh, he's somebody who has been leading up there for quite a bit, quite a few years. Jeff Kaufman is his name, uh, and he also served in the state house up there so we'll get an update on iowa and whether the democrats uh have damaged the iowa first in the nation effort uh for everybody excuse me going forward and then we'll talk with john schlafly the schlafly report and uh, i'll wrap it up today by telling you how the swamp uh has grown how corrupt it is and all you have to do to make a million dollars is be in favor, uh, be in the good graces of the swamp. Uh, that's what uh, we'll reveal that later on in the show. But first, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, where we are. The Democrat disaster continues. So w- what you see, if you listen just now on the on the radio, on the, excuse me, the news report at the top of the show, top of the hour, um, the president signed or came back from India with a massive purchase order, billions and billions of dollars India's going to spend with American defense uh industry uh, weapons and planes and things that India wants. You know, India is 1.2 billion people. Uh, and I think most of them tried to see the president while he was there. So, And the president wants to sign a trade deal, and uh, there's more uh, cooperation with India, which is a big deal to, uh, to counter uh, the other billion nation, billion four, uh, China out there in Asia and others. And so a great success. That's what's going on. Um, the coronavirus looks like it's a mess in Europe, a mess in China. And so far it's been contained and kept out of America. We'll see. I mean, it's not to, not to take it too easy, too lightly, but, uh, you know, it's hit the stock market a little bit, but in general, uh, things are going the right direction and then cometh onto the stage in Charleston, South Carolina, the uh, members of the Democrat uh, Party who are running for president. Oh, my. I mean, just it's it's hard to understand how. First of all, let me say a couple of things. So there's a couple of observations about the candidates. But then we'll talk about the Democrat civil war, which is still raging. And it's uh, it's re- it reveals itself every time they have one of these debates. But let's talk a little bit about these characters. I mean, Joe Biden if he were running for U.S. Senate, which is what he said he was doing yesterday in a moment of you know confusion, um, he would be an, a lackluster candidate. He's not quick. He's not sharp. He's not uh, energetic. He's not even outrageous. I mean, some candidates are are effective because they're outrageous. You can't look. You can't but you know look at them. You can't look away. You know he doesn't. He doesn't have any of that. I mean, I guess what he has is a resume. 
But I mean, it's really, really embarrassing. It's actually, it feels a little bit like sort of elder abuse that why is uh, the family of Joe Biden allowing him to go through this? It's just very odd. Uh, tonight, he used some, uh, I don't know, he, he, he combined the word homeowner with something else and said the word that sounded like home boner. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like, a, it's like having grandpa out, you know, and, and having him, you know, kind of say all those things that you, you know, you laugh when he says them, but he's on stage saying it to millions of people. It's embarrassing. And it, I think he claimed today to have kept Ebola out of America. Him. I kept Ebola out of America. Saved millions of people. I mean, I, I don't understand how the media is not either, you know, is some, is not solving this problem by making it more clear how out of, out of the loop he is. So that's one thing. And then Bloomberg's on the side. He's literally reading, uh, he's memorized them, but he's reading off canned jokes. And it's so painful to see somebody read off jokes and so without the kind of rhythm of joke telling. So he said something. They said, would you ban the sodas like you did in New York? And he said, no, no, every place is different. You know, not every, otherwise everybody would have a naked cowboy. Now, can you imagine if you're watching this, you said the guy that's running for president spending a half a billion dollars just talked about naked cowboys. You have to sort of know. I mean, you have to not sort of know. It's not sort of. You have to know what he's referring to is in, in New York in Times Square, there's a guy who plays the guitar with a cowboy hat in his uh, tidy whities He's not actually naked, but he calls himself the naked cowboy. That's what he meant. And he, it was so stupid, the joke, and it was so ill said that it was painful. And so that's the kind of uh, Steyer is up there kind of yelling at people. He's like, you know, he's kind of screeching at people and on and on and on. It's just amazing. But what's more interesting is that the Civil War is just burst forth now in the Democrat Party. You have all of the so-called Democrat establishment ganging up on Bernie. And you have James Carville and Chris Matthews and all the pundits who are saying it can't be, it can't be, it can't work, don't do it. And then on the stage, you've got Buttigieg, who's trying to beat uh, Sanders up. You've got uh, Elizabeth Warren going after him. You've got everybody, everybody, and talking about how the um, you can't afford it, you can't pay for it, you can't all this. But here's what they don't get. The people inside the the Bernie Sanders campaign, and he's surging nationally. He's going to get higher poll, even higher poll numbers nationally. In, they include all the sort of Bernie supporters from 2016 and all the AOC supporters. She swung them in behind and all the people that just are sick of the power brokers and the kingmakers and the insiders dominating their lives in their party. All the people out there that think that the system is rigged. And, you know, we'll talk later on in the show about one of my favorite quotes by Eric Hoffer, which is that every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. And I'll explain to you the racket that you're seeing now in Washington has to do with uh, six and seven figure book deals and CNN uh, appearance fees and all that. But, um, but that's that, that, so that, that, but Hoffer, Eric Hoffer, in talking about uh, what's going on and what's happening, describing things, he points out that when there's a mass movement of people who just don't care what you're telling them, you know, what you think, they know the game is rigged against them. They know the system is broken against them, and they're going to go with their leader 
in this case, Bernie, and that you can't persuade him, you can't hit him over the head with a bottle, you can't do anything. Because for once, they figured out that they're going to be uh, strong directionally away from those corrupt insiders in the establishment. So the, the James Carville jumping up and down just reinforces for lots of people in the Democrat primary that the game is rigged and they're trying to rig it again. And so here we go down the stretch. Bloomberg in, in about a week from well, so there'll be the the, um, the South Carolina primary will be Saturday, and four days after that there'll be the uh, Super Tuesday, and you'll have a third of the country in the Democrat primaries voting, and Bloomberg's not leaving with his millions, and Buttigieg isn't leaving with his fifteen percent, and Biden doesn't seem to be leaving yet, and there's Bernie, and this thing is going to go down. It's at least going to go down the wire. Remember. In 2016, when you thought, how does this battle between Trump, who was getting 30 percent, 40, sometimes 35 percent, but not really 40 percent in every state, but he was beating it because there was three or four other people. And people kept saying, well, if, if everybody gets out, it just goes head to head. It'll clear itself up. And then and the head to head candidate will beat Trump. And as soon as it got head to head, Trump started beating Cruz, for example. And so in this case, right now. The pressure from the James Carvels and the Chris Matthews in the Civil War is to get everybody out except one candidate who can stand up with Bernie so it can be one-on-one. But they're missing the math because that math only works if Pete Buttigieg or Klobuchar ends up winning. And I don't think they beat uh, Bernie. The more likely scenario is four or five people stay in and can stay in long enough that they can peel off enough delegates and make it so that there's real, real tumult at the convention. But trust me, I was there in 2016 in Cleveland when some of the cruise people were still trying to overturn the the votes and trying to cause chaos and hoping for a brokered convention. And had that happened, it would have been a really destructive time for the Republican Party. And that's my point here. If the Democrats end up with a, a brokered convention, which is the only way they can stop Bernie, it will be the end of the party for, I don't know, at least two cycles to eight years, maybe 10, because people will be so disgusted with what happened. So that's what you're seeing. What you need to know tonight is watch the debates. There'll be another one, I think, a week from now, 10 days, and watch the debates, and you're seeing the civil war breaking out in the Democrat Party. It's incredible to watch. Unbelievable. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we will uh, get an update from Jeff Kaufman, the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa. See what he can tell us if they're done counting up there. I don't even know if they finished the Democrat caucus counting. Maybe Jeff could volunteer to let the Republicans help them uh, count it up. We'll, we'll find out. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. FM 96.1 North County. And AM 1170 San Diego. The answer. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. <clears throat> Pardon me. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Movement. Uh, th- movement. Oh, boy. Pro-America Report. And out of the heartland, our next guest is the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa. I would have told you, Jeff, as I introduced the chairman, Jeff Kaufman, one of the hardest jobs I've ever known is chairman of a state party. One of the only other jobs that might be harder is to be the department chair 
of a higher education uh, department, which you also maintain as a professor at history and government at the Muscatine Community College. And then I would say, being a farmer, you're a seven-generation farmer, I would have thought that was really hard, too. But Bloomberg says that's not so hard. He just had to put a little hole and put some dirt and water and all. So uh, welcome, Chairman Jeff Kaufman. How are you? I am just fine. It's a real pleasure to be here, Ed. I've heard a lot of great things about you from our national committee man and Tabby Kobsa from Northwest Iowa. And it's a real honor to be on your show. Well, it's great to be on. Thank you for being chairman up there. Let me ask you, you know, one of the things is better to be lucky than good. And uh, you were not the one under the pressure cooker for the caucus this year. It was your Democrat colleague. When you saw what went on and you had to go through this, uh, you know, four years ago when it was a, a Republican uh, caucus, you know, intensely contested you know, what's your observation? Sometimes the outside is like, oh, it was such a failure. But I mean, you know, you, you would see it better from where you were. What how, what really happened and where, where does the sort of, I don't know if the blame falls, but what's the lessons learned and how, how do you recover going forward? You know, because I, I always got that reputation as being first in the nation. You, you're obviously going to keep defending that. But what, what do you see when you look across the way at your Democrats? Well, great question. And, and I, I tell you, we had to, even though we didn't have a contested uh, caucus uh, season, we actually had uh, we had the vote. We actually set a record for President Trump. Uh, we had he had the most votes of any incumbent president in Iowa caucus history. He beat uh, wow. President Obama's vote in 2012. Uh, actually, smashed that record. And we also had to report our votes, just like the uh, Democrats did in over 1,700 precincts. I got to tell you, first of all, it was it was razor close on the uh, on the Democratic side. Um, right. They had some problems with their with the reporting app. But, you know, if I'm going to lay the blame someplace, I'm going to lay it on the on the DNC. Um, the, the DNC imposed, to be honest with you, a whole lot of new qualifications on the uh, right. on the caucuses here. Uh, they were mostly led by Bernie Sanders, who believed that he was uh not treated fairly back in in 2016. I, I saw my uh, I saw my Democratic uh, counterpart across the across the way, and and I yeah. saw him bending and flexing and trying to keep uh, basically a national party happy that quite frankly doesn't like the Iowa caucuses, um, despite huh. the fact that that Barack Obama won here in 2008. Ted Cruz got first in 2016. Marco Rubio. And uh, got third place. The 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 whole idea that that Iowa is not diverse enough, despite the fact that that uh, we we really don't look at ethnicity when we're making our choice out here. We look at the character of the candidates. And so my my gut reaction was, well, DNC, you got your wish. Number one and number two, uh, we gotta we gotta find a way, in my opinion, uh, to move ahead and make sure that we remain first nation. I got to tell you, Ed, the quickest way to do that is to reelect uh, President uh, Trump. President Trump tweeted out twice uh, after yeah. the uh, debacle with the Democrats that as long as he is in, uh, as President of the United States, we're going to begin with Iowa. Well, and I th- actually I said the same thing. We're talking. Let me let me reiterate. We're talking with uh, Chairman Jeff Kaufman, who is the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa, also a former legislator in the Iowa uh, State House and uh, active all well across the country, and a professor also a history and a, a PhD. And 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 so yeah, your perspective is really welcome. But I, I saw the same thing. I said the same thing. Trump said. Now it's also it's always colored with politics. He wants to win Iowa again, but doesn't matter. He said he'll keep it as long as he's president. And what you really need is him to hold him to win again. Hold. That 
that and stick to it because whoever his successor is afterwards, as long as Trump is, is signaling that way, I think you're exactly right. That's uh, very wise, and I think you're you're on to something there. All right, let me pull back though and, and ask you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, <clears throat> Jeff. Um, the um, the farmers <clears throat> in Iowa. They did get dinged by the tariffs, right? And the president made a pledge. He said, I'll make sure to come back and cover what happened to you. And and I think he did that generally, you know, but it's it's obviously a big a change when uh, people have been operating in one way. You know, I often tip up to whether it's business or farming. They say, show me how you're going to play the rules. Tell me the price of of uh, of corn. Tell me the price of 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 what's going on. And I'll, I'll work around it. Right. I'll make decisions. But don't give me uncertainty because I can't plan. And it's very tough. Is um, are you comfortable now with where we are with the the China situation? In some ways, we're we're sort of diminishing our relationship to China, and we have to find other other markets. and And how's that how's that really affecting our farmers and and our farming community? I got to tell you, I am I am so proud. I, I'm actually as a as a seventh generation uh, Iowa farmer. My son, who is also in the in, who is now in the Iowa. Uh, House Representatives is also his eighth generation Iowa farmer, and I got to tell you, I am so proud of our farmers, and I'm so proud of our president. And let, let me let me clarify: the the you know the president asked our farmers to sacrifice, um, and there were some right. tough times. And uh, he he asked them to look at the macro level to understand that we had this disparity. We we had a, uh, a we had China taken advantage of us through multiple presidential administrations, and none of the presidents in the past, including Republican ones, uh, this isn't a partisan issue in terms of failing to correct the trade differential with China. Our farmers stuck with him. We had Ed, we had national reporters out here from CNN and and, uh, and yeah. every left wing organization trying to find one. Farmers, someplace, somewhere that would criticize his president. Of course, in our college towns, they found a couple of organic turnip farmers <laughs> that didn't like the right. president. But I got to tell you, they stuck with him, and it is really powerful when a president of the United States continues to reassure our farmers and then comes through for us. Uh, it, it's the reason why I've got a, a, a quiet confidence. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna work out here like the president is behind by ten points. But I got to tell you, the president is going to win Iowa, and one of the reasons is is our the basis of our entire Iowa economy out here has seen a president that has kept his word and that has followed through. So I I'm so proud of this president. I'm so proud of our farmers, and yeah, it's it's pretty powerful stuff. And then juxtapose that with uh, Bernie who wants to put a Green New Deal and or Michael Bloomberg who just demeans uh, the very profession that, that I've been in personally for seven uh, generations. i got to tell you, the contrast between President Trump and this Democratic crew uh, couldn't be more stark, and it works right into our favor. I think the president's going to have coattails in Iowa. Yeah. Uh, and let me uh, let me make sure. Uh, Jeff, we're talking with Jeff Kaufman, chairman, and his website, which I'll put up on social media, those iowagop.org, iowagop.org. There's a lot to learn from what uh, Iowa does and, and what they're up to. Let me ask you about the coattails real quick. I mean, because one of the conversations is, uh, you know, Trump in off-year elections, 18 for sure, um, people, you know, the, the turnout was strong against him. So you got a, a important senator there, Joni Ernst, who's up for re-election. She's had a you know, she's had some of those ups and downs of uh, of personal life and of service. How's she look? What's that race look like? And that's a big race, I, th- I would say, because she becomes a sort of iconic uh, leader in the in the Senate if she gets a second full term. She's a woman, accomplished, and all that. Uh, what's it look like in her race? 
uh, looks very strong right now. In fact, I'm going to be with Senator Ernst on Friday uh, at, a, at an event, and uh, she is she basically she's she's just being pounded on the airwaves right now by Chuck Schumer's pack. Uh, they have handpicked. Yeah. They, there's a primary on the Democratic side, but essentially Chuck Schumer is, has picked uh, his D.C. favorite. We rarely see her. Basically, she's operating on uh, on talking points and press releases, uh, hoping to keep her quiet, let the outside money pour in, and then just absolutely just pound and demean demean Joni Ernst. And and Joni is very very strong right now. She does like our Senator Grassley does. She does what we call the the ninety nine county tour of the full Grassley. We yeah. call it out here. She right, does, right, she's done right. that every single year in six years. First female combat veteran in the United States Senate. Uh, we feel very good about Joni. And actually, I, I truly believe that, that not only will the president have uh, coattails in rural Iowa especially, but in Iowa in general, but I believe that Joni Ernst is also going to help us from uh, uh, you know, achieve some votes in those uh, harder demographics for the president, like the suburbs, uh, the so-called uh, soccer mom demographic. It, it's a little hard to paint Joni Ernst as uh, as yeah. somehow anti-female, as somehow anti-family when Joni Ernst is, uh, it, is obviously a female herself. But at the same time, Joni Ernst understands personal turmoil. She understands uh, women's issues, and she's a proponent for life. And I mean not just life in terms of afterbirth, but also life from conception on. And she has stood so strong on all of those issues. I feel real good about her race. Well, you know, uh, Chairman Kaufman, Jeff Kaufman, again, we'll put up iowagop.org. Check out his stuff. Uh, keep us in the loop, uh, Jeff, as things go forward, if we can help in any way in terms of I do agree with you. I, I, I was a convert when I got on the RNC to what Tamara Scott and, and Steve Scheffler taught me about, hey, this is why Iowa is a really good bellwether for kicking off our stuff. So I'm, I'm a believer and I'm on your side. So good luck with everything. And if the Democrats need help counting, I think they're still counting. Maybe go over there and lend them some Republicans to count. So uh, take care and good luck. Thanks very much for your time, sir. Thanks for all you do and thanks for your integrity, Ed. All right. Appreciate it very much. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. The Answer San Diego, streaming now on TuneIn.com and Radio.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here at Pro-America Report. Uh, remember, we just had a very interesting interview with the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa, Jeff Kaufman. Any of our interviews are available. Go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com. You can track down the show. You can also go wherever their podcasts are uh, available. You some iTunes, Google Play. You can track it down. Just do a search, uh, Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, and you'll find them, and you can get all those uh, things. We also put them up generally on social media in bite-sized chunks. If you go to my Twitter account, at Eagle Ed Martin, you'll find that there, uh, Facebook, uh, Ed Martin Live, uh, all over the place. But a uh, good interview, interesting guy, a guy, a guy to watch. Uh, and uh, we'll hear from him more down the stretch, uh, Chairman Jeff Kaufman of the Iowa GOP. All right, our next guest, who uh, is our weekly guest, John Schlafly. The Schlafly Report is put together, written by John and Andy Schlafly, who are two of the late Phyllis Schlafly's sons, and after her, I don't know, 40-plus year uh, run of um, writing a weekly column, sometimes two a week, 
in the midst of, I don't know, 25 books. Um, she passed away, and John and Andy have kept up at least the column every week. I don't see much evidence of books or other things, but they, they're, they're, they're young. They're young. They'll get to it. So welcome back, John. How are you? Hello, hello Ed. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Did you get to watch? I'm sorry. I was messaging with you. Did you get to watch any of the Democrat debate tonight? Uh, yes, I did see, uh, you know, a good fraction of it. And, uh, of course, they're, they're beating up on the front runners. That's normal in these debates. The front runners are uh, considered to be uh, Bernie Sanders and, and the new entrant Michael Bloomberg. Although, you know, Joe Biden... Um, had a pretty good night, actually. He's been a punching bag, but South Carolina is his do-or-die state, and, um, you know, he performed okay, I believe. He may survive in South Carolina. I agree with you, if only because the expectations game where everyone has been, you know, saying he's stumbling around clueless, and he actually seemed to, you know, he didn't didn't have any major... uh, uh, faux pas. And so it's just sort of pulled it off. All right, John, I want to talk to you about this column. I don't want to lose the time on this because this this uh, coronavirus thing is starting to get into the American um, media and into the, you know, people are talking about it. I, you know, as you know, uh, John, uh, my wife, Carol, is a physician and, and she she goes and does hospital shifts at a nearby hospital. One of her friends that has kids in school texted my wife and said, do you have any extra face masks? They're sold out of them at the local Target or somewhere. And I said, come on, really? And so this is the coronavirus thing. Whatever the truth of it is, people are talking about it. They're paying attention to it. And your column, which is antidotes needed for coronavirus, goes into some of this. So, John, first of all, yeah, I had another text from one of the listeners who said her millennial daughter said, yeah, I don't know, I, I, avian flu a few years, years ago, something other flu, coronavirus, I don't know if I buy it. So I, I, what, what's your sense of this? Is this a real epidemic or a pandemic? Is it the media driving it? Is it what they want it to be, uh, Trump's black swan, as you refer to it? What's your real sense of this? Well, it is uh, remarkable that in just a few days, this virus that no one had ever experienced before has gotten all the way from Wuhan, China, to Milan, Italy, and uh, there are several cities in the vicinity of Milan, Italy, which is Italy's industrial capital, as you know, are on yeah. lockdown, and the people are confined to their homes, can it be released. And uh, then it's in South Korea, and an American soldier, they just announced, has come down with the virus there. So, And, of course, there's no cure, no, there's no vaccine, and an estimated uh, 2% fatality rate. Now, uh, and the thing is, we don't know how many are infected, because... People who uh, are infected have, have no symptoms, and so we don't know how to protect ourselves. And you mentioned face masks, Ed. Of course, face masks are made in China, and China is not letting them out. They're using them themselves. Right. So right. It, it, it does yeah. illustrate the downside of the global economy that everyone has been telling us is so wonderful because it gives us cheaper goods, and yet we're dependent upon China. We're dependent upon international companies that manufacture in China, and we're dependent now on uh, having these trade routes and people traveling back and forth that we cannot stop and we can't close our borders and we can't quarantine the airplanes when they come in. So it's a serious question. And, uh, uh, John, think- how about... Uh, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. How about yeah. so we're talking with John Schlafly, by the way, and let me make sure to say townhall.com is where Andy and John's uh, column post just a few hours ago, and it's also available at phyllisschlafly.com. John, follow me on this logic. Uh, when John, when Donald Trump came in as president, he said, I am going to block people from coming from certain nations where we know that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the people from those nations are really nasty. They have a nasty ideology, you know, generally Islamic. And it was called a Muslim ban, but it really wasn't a Muslim ban. It was a ban on people coming from a place where some of the people could bring really bad stuff that would kill Americans. And now we have a situation where China has literally people who are infected by something that if they come to us, uh, that they would would hurt our people. I mean, in a funny way, hasn't the coronavirus just proven, excuse me, that Donald Trump's policy on forbidding people coming from places where they're infected by really bad stuff that could hurt Americans? We because no one I don't I haven't heard anyone say, oh, my gosh, what you are a racist for telling the Chinese that are infected to not come to America. Right. Obviously, Americans are comfortable with that. So uh, that, that to me is a, a breakthrough. Right. We have now proven that Trump was right, uh, unless you want to say that there's no such thing as uh, Islamic terrorism or Muslim terrorists. But here's my here's my uh, fear, John. In the book by John Barry about the flu epidemic of whatever, 1918, 1919, whatever the title was, St. Louis, Missouri, where your hometown, was spared uh, much of the impact that other cities in America were hit with from the flu epidemic because they had an autocratic public health director who went way far ahead of anywhere else and banned everything. No public meetings, no nothing. My fear right now is the Americans aren't don't have the stomach for what we should do. I I I I feel like the president has reassured us a lot, but we maybe haven't been as aggressive. That we should be more aggressive in what we're doing, forbidding anybody coming in, stopping travel from places. I mean, why wouldn't we do that? Or am I misreading it? No, I think that's a very good point that you've made to com- to compare this biological agent with the. With the, with the human terrorists, it's a good comparison, and the president has the power. The power is in the law that allows the president to stop the entry of any person or any class of persons that he determines may pose a threat to the United States. And, and the Supreme Court upheld that in the case of the Muslim ban, or the, uh, that was that Trump uh, is not really a Muslim ban, but the the travel the travel ban, the travel ban. <clears throat> and uh, it's time to take a close look at that on travel from certain areas where this disease is known to be endemic, and in particular the city of Wuhan, China, which is where we think it originated due to the unsanitary conditions of the way food is sold and eaten there, which is also true in other places in China, but this one in particular, which as we've learned, also has a secret lab for biological research. And there's been some suspicion, no proof, uh, but uh, whether or not it could have been something that escaped from that lab. But we don't know the origin, and we don't know who's carrying it, so we had better be safe than sorry. 
Yeah. Well, in the middle of the column, I'll just read this last bit of uh, your column. This John Schlafly, Andy Schlafly, uh, their column is running today. While Trump deserves credit for keeping coronavirus mostly out of the United States, he deserves the most credit for warning against open borders. I mean, if there's a lesson here, and by the way, Matteo Salvini, Dominic Tarzinski of Poland have been tweeting about this saying, hey, Europe, don't tell us we have to have no borders, open borders, when you're in, when we're seeing these infection come. And so, if anything, that's uh, bolstered that. All right, John Schlafly, again, the column is uh, Antidotes Needed for Coronavirus, posted over townhall.com and, and also archived at phyllisschlafly.com. John, we'll talk again next week, and uh, thanks for your time. Uh, we'll take Thank a quick you. break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Be right back. Streaming now on The Answer San Diego app and radio.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here and the Pro-America Report. Thanks for listening. Great to be with you tonight. And uh, let's wrap things up here. I'm going to teach you a little bit something, a little bit about, um, a little something about what's going on in the swamp and how swampy it really is. Okay, so um, let me remind you as I talk about some of these things, you can go to edmartinlive.com. This is Ed Martin of ProAmerica Report. Go to edmartinlive.com, and if you, you'll see a box pops up. Give me your email address there, and I'll send you a daily email. It's called the Daily Wink, what you need to know, the wink. It gives you a lot of this kind of stuff that I'm going to talk about right now and often links to these segments, too. But um, also go to phyllisschlafly.com if you want to uh, see some of the writings that Phyllis did. I work for her organization as the president of the Phyllis Schlafly uh, organization, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Eagle Forum, Educational Legal Defense Fund. So those are the two places to go. All right. Um, so I have been watching this and thinking about when we would talk about it. Um, but um, there is a very interesting, somewhat famous writer, uh, philosopher named Eric Hoffer, H-O-F-F-E-R. Now, Eric Hoffer was an American original. He was born just before the last century, maybe 1896 or seven. I can't remember what year. And he was born in Brooklyn, New York. I believe it was Brooklyn, but he was born in New York, one of the five boroughs. His parents were German uh, immigrants to America, and he was born and didn't get past eighth or ninth grade, uh, young Eric Hoffer, and ended up in California in um, San Francisco area and spent the rest of his life into his early 80s as a uh, stevedore, they call it, stevedore, meaning he worked on the docks, helping load the ships and all, especially San Francisco is a, is a massive port and was a, certainly in his heyday a big port. But he became uh, self-taught, Eric Hoffer. And he um, wrote a number of books. Uh, one of his books was called True Believers, Reflections on Mass Movements. And True Believers, um, he wrote, probably in the 19, early 1950, maybe 1949. And it was a reflection on sort of why did the people of, of uh, Italy and Germany fall for um, uh, Mussolini and Hitler? And he was writing about what are mass movements. Anyway, he, the book was well-liked and well-regarded. It's a very good book. I, I look at it all the time. But Hoffer, um, it, the book was uh, given to Eisenhower, and Eisenhower, then President Eisenhower, maybe 1953, was walking to, I don't know if it was his airplane or to his car, and a reporter asked about it, and he said, oh, I'm reading this book. And then Hoffer became famous, um, totally famous the world over, and uh, the rest of his life he was sort of well-known. Um, reminds me, by the way, of a story about a young author who had published his books uh, about the Soviets and America and the Cold War only on the Naval Institute Press. I think that's what it's called sold only a few hundred copies, but one of the copies got to President Reagan, and when President Reagan was walking to uh, Marine One one day, he was asked about the book he was carrying, and he said, oh, it's a really good book. It's called The Hunt for Red October, 
And they said, who's the author? And he said, Tom Clancy. And thus began Tom Clancy's career. It came it went shooting up, obviously, through these through the many, many books he wrote. So Eric Hoffer, he's got a great book, but he's also famous for a phrase that is so important to understand where we are at this moment. And the, the, the phrase is this, a very famous phrase. And the phrase is, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a racket, and eventually degenerates into Excuse me, ah, oh boy, I messed it up. Every great cause begins. Every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. That's the famous, famous phrase that is uh, sort of well known uh, that Hoffer said. And so here's what made me think of this. And I've been thinking about when we could talk about this because it's um. It is really uh, a well, um, it's a well-timed phrase for the modern moment. moment. And here's, here's um, why. Here's how I'd, I'd like to make you, have you think about this. When our country was founded, it was a great cause. It was a great cause that became a movement of we the people who were saying we want to self-govern and we want a system that will give us a certain unity of a nation, but will also give us certain freedoms. It won't take away our rights. We won't be bound under a, you know, a, a king or queen who comes from God. No, no. God gives each of us our sovereignty and we grant it to our state to be together to be our, and, and to our nation. And that was a big movement. I mean, it's a mass movement. This is one of the great movements in America, in, in world history that happened. And, um, but over time, especially after the federal government realized that they could change the Constitution and, and tax, which they did directly over 120 years ago, they began to create a business. And you see the business of governing the federal government grows up and grows up and grows up. And around it become all of the telltale signs of business, not of governing, but of business. And the danger is that that business of governing, Eric Hoffer said it, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. So I was reminded of this when I saw the news that Marie Yovanovitch, Yovanovitch, the former United States ambassador or diplomat to the Ukraine, who testified during the impeachment. And if I can say somewhat impartially, she wasn't really impressive. She has some experience, but she wasn't impressive. I thought I thought she was really um, disingenuous in some ways, but she she wasn't one of these people that you're like, well, I don't really agree. But boy, I'm impressed by that man or woman. She just kind of was one of these career bureaucrats. Now, in a certain period in our history, having served the country as an ambassador and a diplomat, it would have a certain value, a certain cachet. We would gr- grant it a certain amount of respect, not as much as our military, but, you know, but still serving in the State Department means something, right? So it's good. I'm not, I don't want to be too hard on this. However, the news broke three days ago that she's been given a seven figure that's more than a million dollars to write her memoir. Now, this is my point on the racket. The racket goes like this. The powers that be that control government and, and that influence what's going on in the media, in, in uh, whether it's television or radio or print, in the book selling business, they have the ability to shape what's going on. So here's my example. You remember Michelle Bachman? Michelle Bachman had a meteoric career, but it wasn't a one-year career. She was a state legislator in Minnesota. She was a successful candidate for Congress. And then she ran for president. And for a minute, she was like the most dynamic presidential candidate. And that didn't work out. When she left Congress, not only have you rarely heard from her, I think she has some kind of position. Um, in fact, I think she's got a position with Pastor Garlow's ministry at the UN, but she didn't get a million dollar memoir book deal. She didn't get a, uh, a place at the table at a big law firm. She didn't get all these things that a lot of other th- people get. Why? Well, in part, 
because people have different preferences, but in part because she happens to be conservative. And so if you play the game into the advantage of the power brokers in the racket that is Americans, America's federal government, you get rewarded. Marie, again, Marie Ivanovich, a diplomat, has a million plus, we don't even know, it's, uh, we know it's seven figures, but it's more than that, likely, but it's at least $1 million to write her memoir. She's never written a book before, she has no re- record of selling books, it's just that the, the machine, the racket machine, will go into full protection racket to make her a success. Because why? Because they want her to be credible going forward so that they can bolster what was an incredible, meaning lacking in credibility, impeachment this is the racket and if you think the american government became a business at some point i think you're right at least it did on lots of aspects of what they do whether it's the refugee program where nonprofits and for-profit companies make lots of money whether it's the military industrial complex where there's just gazillion and gazillion and gazillion contracts going out or in this sort of shadowy business Comey's rich, Brennan's rich, Clapper's rich, Yovanovitch is rich, and Flynn is broke, and Stone is broke. And you just have to watch closely and realize, and what happens is human beings are not that different from our four-legged brothers and sisters. I have a dog, I love my dog, and I learn so much from my dog, and we're not that different from our four-legged brothers and sisters. We will see what gets rewarded, and we will tend towards it. We will see what gets punished, and we will tend away from it. Every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. We've got some work to do to beat back the racket that is the people trying to run America right now. And that's what this president's doing with Drain the Swamp. That's why it's not a two-year, three-year, four-year. It's a 10-year, 20-year problem. And it's structural. All right, we got to take a we got to wrap up. I'm sorry. Have a great night, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow night. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our technical director, Joanna, our producer. Thank you for listening. Go to theanswersandiego.com. Follow us there. We'll talk soon again tomorrow night. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.